Hello, and welcome to Just Another Real Estate Podcast, where we'll speak with Arizona's most successful real estate professionals to better understand their business, current market conditions, team and business building strategies, successes, and challenges. This podcast is brought to you by Dwell Inspect Arizona with your host, Sean Garvey. Welcome to Just Another Real Estate Podcast. Um, I am here today with a, with a wonderful guest um, that we've known for years. Uh, his name is David Newcomb. He's with Launch Real Estate. Um, he's one of the co-founders of Launch Real Estate. Um, so we're super excited to have you, David. Thank you so much for taking the time today to come on and have a conversation about Phoenix real estate market and your experience in it. Thanks so much, Sean. It's great to be here. It's, of uh, course. it's a great podcast. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. This can be a lot of fun. Um, so you're a man of many talents. Um, you know, I did a little research. I looked at your LinkedIn before we got on here. Um, you've had a, a, an interesting path that's, that's brought you into the real estate market. So tell me about a little bit about your path. I noticed theater production manager, lighting design, BBC producer, you have now co-founder of launch. I know from talking to you, you get super excited when you talk about cycling every day and, and being a pilot. Um, and I've also seen you light up when you talk about being a firefighter. Uh, so listen to all that deep resume and years of experience. Um, tell me about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I guess I've done a lot of things, but it's because I get bored quickly. And I just, I, I'm just an adrenaline junkie as well. So so you, you put it all together and I guess you end up with, with what I am and where I am. Um, yeah, I was really fortunate. Uh, I, I went to drama school, not as an actor. I am not an actor. This side <laughs> of the camera always disturbs me. Um, I'm always used to the other side of the camera. However, um, that got me into theater. That got me into life and design. Um, and, and that took me through the West End, the Royal Shakespeare Company, and a whole lot of other things. I toured the world, which was great. It sounds very grand, but a hotel room's a hotel room. Uh, but got to bump into some beautiful theatres. And I think that's kind of the start of the real estate game for me, mm. because when you're going into all these different places and you see these different architecture, and then you're lucky enough to go into some of the great opera houses in the world, which was where we generally performed. It was the middle of the dance craze, which makes me really old. But we were filling 3,000-seat <laughs> stadiums all over the place. Wow. And, you know, when you go into Sydney Opera House one week and the next week you go into Venice before it burnt down, and then you go into Teatro de Listo in Barcelona before it burnt down, um, it, you, you see some of them. Yeah, we left a trail of I'm noticing a trail. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, um, but, but you see some of these amazing places and they take your breath away and it really starts you thinking about architecture you know, you're in design and lighting already. So so it's a natural progression. And then I got out of that into into television. Um, you know, sometimes it, it, it takes a, a force majeure to get you from somewhere to somewhere else. I was actually hit by a BBC prop truck when I was going across the road at the Angel Islington. And I, it only hit me gently, uh, <laughs> but it hit me. Uh, and I learned two things. You know, number one was not to trust prop men ever. And number two was as I got up, the letters BBC were straight in front of me. And I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. Um, and so I went into the prompt corner of Sadler's World, where we were performing, and called the head of BBC Serials and said, hey, I'd love to join you. And for whatever reason, he picked up. And six weeks later, I was at the BBC. So, so, oh, so, so, so that led one thing leads to another. And I, I think, you know, that may come back to your initial question of 
all these different things you do. Well, if opportunity, I guess in this case, hits you in the face, why don't you just actually <laughs> listen to it? So, um, you know, that that's one thing or another. But the other thing it led to was several years as a location manager. Mm. And again, so this just fed more of the architectural and real estate side of my life. You know, what am I doing? I'm going to find amazing locations or, or you know, sometimes not so amazing, uh, but whatever fits the script. And what am I doing by that? I'm talking to the property owners. I'm often talking to people who are in real estate. I'm often talking to, you know, that, that, that general breed of people. And I'm seeing these most incredible and interesting places that most people don't get to go into. And I just get to knock on the door and say, hey, how do you fancy being a location? Yeah. So, you know, one thing led to another. And, and that, was, that was just a lot of fun. Um, and that led to me producing. And I always liked, again, I've been all over the world in any case. Uh, and so my, 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 my flavor of program was very often going out to solve something somewhere in the world, um, which was amazing and took me to incredible places, India, Africa, wow. the Far East, Hong Kong. I mean, you know, you can keep going. Just amazing. And introduce me to America. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, but again, you know, you you're in there with real people all the time it's not the tourist industry so you're always going to see the real places and again it, it that just feeds this whole property theme right. and then of course the, the bad bit that feeds the property theme was I, I i had this weird position where i took over a show called london's burning which was a, a major sunday night show which was all about the fire brigade uh, or the fire department as you say and it's based in a fictitious uh, fire station in london but which was actually a real fire station. And so the first thing I said was, well, the chief of London Fire Brigade, which is basically the chief of all the fire brigades, unwritten mm-hmm. as such uh, in London, we had to have London Fire Brigade on our side. And we met before I started and I said, hey, you know, how can we make this work better? And he said, well, you need to know what it's like to be a firefighter and how long have you got? And so I ended up uh, riding out with Soho. I ended up getting right in the mix of it um, and uh, I mean, literally in the mix of it. You know, there was a standing joke for a while, which was whenever I came to the fire station, they didn't have any fire. So they knew they were going to get a quiet <laughs> night. Uh, um, but as we got to know each other, as I got more involved in the fire department, um, it, it became far more interesting and, and you know, got to go and do real things, which was just amazing. Uh, and they're incredible, incredible people. Uh, I, I just can never say enough uh, for, for for those guys. And being part of them for a while uh, was just unbelievable. Um, but it gets you into houses, strangely. Yeah. Not necessarily yeah, sure. when you want to get into houses, yeah. but I recur the theme. Um, and then came over here uh, when I came out of television. And guess what? You know, what is an out of work national television producer doing phoenix uh and my father-in-law owned a small real estate company just a mom and pop shop with like four or five agents but it gave me the break it let that side of the interest go and here i am uh i got into development as soon as i was here because it looked interesting um and it looked like a big a big you know train set to play with uh so so that's the the, the potted history a couple of years down the road from that, we were listing an awful lot of condominiums. I got very heavily into the condominium build and sell game. 
Um, and then a few years after that, it was 2008. But it gave me a very, very good insight into condominiums, into how they're built, into lifestyle marketing. I came out of a lifestyle industry and that got me straight back into a lifestyle industry. Yeah, and uh, that's where we find ourselves, I guess. I sell a lot of condominiums <laughs> and always have done. We sell a lot of condominiums. You also sell a lot of luxury homes and and um, sure. not to degrade, but traditional homes as well. Um, but yeah, you, you certainly sold a lot of, of condominiums. That was a heck of an intro. Um, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the insight on there. there there's so much... Um, interesting background in there. But one thing I just wrote a note I wrote down is it it sounds to me like you just said yes a lot and it opened up a, an opportunity of of not necessarily um, specifically accomplishment, but it allowed you to do uncommon things. Um, you That's know, put exactly. yourself in a position. You, you, yeah. Yeah. I mean you've got to be in, in my view, you've got to be open to opportunity yeah. the whole time. And yeah. the more open you are to it, the more it knocks. And as long as you're, you know, we've all made mistakes by saying yes. Sure. But, but 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 as long as you don't say yes too many times, as long as you're careful as to what you choose, but not afraid of going there, then it can add. Gosh, I mean, what's the worst scenario? You, you learn a whole lot about something else, and you know, knowledge is uh, is is a useful beast. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and then one d undeniable fact is that you, you certainly have an accent. Where are you originally from? <laughs> and then, uh, London. <laughs> and then how did you, how did someone from London, I'm always curious, you know, the U S is a giant big map. Um, how does someone end up in our, our beautiful little city of Phoenix? Um, well, um, love, yeah, uh, okay. I think was the simple answer, not love of Phoenix, although I've developed <laughs> to love of Phoenix. So just 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 to put that to one side. Sure. Um, but no, in in my previous entertainment career, I was spending more and more time in the United States or at least on a jumbo jet between the UK and the United States. Um, but but when I landed and when I was here, I was having a really good time. I was very lucky to meet a lovely lady and uh, we ended up getting married. Um, and so when uh, and we were living and working in England uh, but but at the point that uh, I decided to come out of the real estate industry uh, uh, sorry I'll start that one again at the point I started to come out of the entertainment industry uh -huh. uh, it, it seemed a natural choice to restart over here yeah um, and that's how I and that's literally how I got here and then I ended up with my kids here and you know here I am here it is. Yeah. No, That's I mean, right. it's a, it's a, I, I think it's a great city. Um, I think it's, it's just when you look at somebody who's coming from an international environment and their exposure to the U S is like LA or New York or Chicago or Miami or something to that extent. And then you find what, how did you end up here? And, and it makes sense to me. It's a great place to raise a family and a great place to be, um, it's but I'm always just curious. Place. Yeah. It's a fantastic place to live. And I think it's, you know, if you're kind of looking at superpowers as such, you know, we all kind of go, okay, what's what's your superpower? What can you do differently? Sure. You know, it's not how are you Superman? It's what can you do differently? What can you bring to the table? And I think one of the things that I find interesting is uh, uh, an author friend of mine who lived in India for a while. Um, uh, well, he was brought up and born in India, just like I was back in the UK, but sure. had traveled a lot and ended up living in the UK and now lives over here. 
And um, one of the things he always said was you're from a third nation, which is which is really interesting. It basically means that wherever you live, you're a foreigner. You look at it through a slightly different lens. You know, even when I go home, they think that I come from here. Well, they don't think I come from here, but, you know, I'm coming at it from a place where I'm looking at the UK from afar. And that different lens can be incredibly useful when you're trying to solve problems. Sure. Um, and when you're trying to do all sorts of things that are slightly unique. So it doesn't matter whether it's marketing. You know, I've got a very good friend and, and, and just one of the best marketeers that I think exists uh, out of Canada, you know, who put together our marketing for One Lexington when we sold One Lexington. Uh-huh. And what was fantastic was that because he came from a different eye, we had a very different way of marketing Phoenix. And that got Phoenicians really interested because they hadn't seen it before. So so it was a different angle we could come from. And, and again, you know, I landed here 2003. I mean, gosh, it wasn't long before that, that if you stood on Roosevelt Row, you sure. couldn't order a pizza because they wouldn't come there because it was too dangerous. Yeah, and so I've been really lucky to be right in the middle of you know being part of Phoenix Community Alliance, being part of these kind of big groups that I, I've been part of building the city, and it's just fantastic. I mean, look, I'm not a developer; I'm a salesperson, but it's still got a little bit of my DNA in there. Conversation, somewhere. yeah, and I love it. You know, it's just this challenge: how do we get there? And what's happened in Phoenix in the last few years has been unbelievable. Yeah, just unbelievable. Really incredible. It's it's really grown up. I mean, I, I grew up here um, and I've, I've had a lot of experience on it or and watched it develop. And, and, you know, there's some people that say, I don't like the way it's going. I, do, for one, do like the way it's going. Um, I think there's a lot of avenues and better pockets and better opportunities and more sustained jobs, bigger jobs. Um, but I, I want to highlight. Yeah, yeah I want to highlight one thing before we segue into something else. I thought that was really brilliant that you brought in somebody with an outside perspective to market Phoenix from a perspective, um, from a different perspective, because it's no secret that Canadian people love Phoenix. But if somebody came to visit me here and was like, all right, what does Phoenix have to offer? I'd be like, well, golf, maybe uh, good climate, pool weather, restaurants. But like, there's not a, a ton to do. But maybe I don't see that, you know, maybe somebody else sees that from a different perspective, because they have you know, like I want to go to Phoenix and I want to go do X, Y, Z. So that's, that's pretty brilliant. That's really cool. Well, but it, it's even down to, you know, if, if you look at a, where do we look for when we want to see the best in marketing? Yeah. You know, and, and there's very obvious places and, uh, but, but also what are the prime markets where we get the most sophisticated marketing out of as well? Right. right? So, yeah. so, you know, you look at Vancouver, you look at New York, you look at Chicago, you look at London, you look at Paris, you know, so, so you, you, you have what's always fascinating. And it's, I guess, something I learned from television, but I, I unashamedly ran one of the most successful series in the United Kingdom. You know, you couldn't go to the pub without people talking about the characters and whatever else. And they think that, you know, wonderful things are going on. What do we do every Monday morning? I thought it was a Sunday night. Yeah. So what do we do every Monday morning whilst we were doing this? Uh, this was back in 1998 was when I started that particular show, that London's Burning, we talked about before. Well, I know what we did. We sat down with the script writers and we said, so there's a show called Sopranos. Yeah. What did they do last night? There's a show called ER. What did they do last night? 
And I'm sure they did the same. I doubt they did it with Lana's Burning, but I'm sure they did the same. Because you, it's not plagiarism, it's learning. It's how do we take sure. this idea? How do we develop it? How do we, what do we do? And that's the same with marketing. It's the same uh, with, with architecture, you know. Uh, and I think to, to, to segue that a little bit, what I still wish would happen more in Phoenix, what I long to happen in Phoenix is the chance to get some stunning architecture approved mm. that really makes people go, well, the city's interesting. You know, what's the, uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but you know, what's the Sydney Opera House of Phoenix? What's the, what's, what's that moment where you build something that's new and amazing and just different and makes people, it's a landmark. And that gives you an umbrella for other people to go, well, that's really cool. Now I can be exciting too. Yeah. You know, that's really now. interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's always been, or it has been for a long time creative from a residential standpoint, you know, the Frank Lloyd Wrights, the Al Beatles, the, um, uh, Havers, that's those, um, same influence here, same influence Palm Springs, but not from a commercial. I mean, from a, from a downtown perspective, we have very, very modest downtown for 5 million people. Um, for one of the biggest well, those, are, those are generally yeah i mean incredible architects with amazing influence and yeah you know, i mean good grief as you know i mean who out of all of those frank lloyd wright sticks out in in sure. my mind uh, and but he also always sticks out because of shade structure because we live in a desert you know mm -hmm. uh, i mean you look at a condominium with a balcony above it that's facing south and you go oh thanks frank you know, yeah. there's this thing called shade structure. Yeah. Here's this balcony, and you can relate <laughs> straight back to it. Yeah. Um, but but so so they did amazing single family homes, and then we got into this rather awkward stucco era, mm -hmm. which is unfortunately, sorry, Phoenix City Councillors, but it's true, and you know it is. You kind of grew up in, and and the problem is that stucco homes don't make incredible cities. The density is different. Everything about it's dif different. And so you have to embrace these things. I mean, we talk the whole time about shade in the desert and we talk about a water shortage and then we talk about trees. Something's not quite right there. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have trees. Don't get me wrong. But I'm also saying we live on a grid system. So where's the oldest grid system in the world? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Malta. And what completely shocked me was that the first, so, so they've got an old capital, which is like really old, uh -huh. and they've got a new capital, which is a lot newer, but was built in really the 1550s. Right? But what's interesting about it, what's interesting about it in terms of Phoenix, and this is kind of what I'm, and Scottsdale, right? What are we always searching for? We're searching for how we get a breeze. We're searching for how we get shade. We're searching for how we make it walkable. Well, Valletta, which is the cap, which is the new capital built in the 1500s in Malta, was the very first city built on a grid system. Huh. So when you look at New York, think Malta, okay. literally. When you look at Phoenix, think Malta. Why did they do it? They did it because they have exactly the same problems that we have here. They had heat and they had a lot of sun and they wanted to stay cool. Well, they built... In those days, tall, we're talking about four-story buildings on a grid system, close together. What did they get? They got shade from 
the buildings. They got a walkable area between the buildings that people enjoyed going from point A to point B because they were in the shade. Mm. And just to make it even better, they got the drafts that come from that. You know, and we all talk about that in New York, right? I mean, all these tall buildings create these drafts. Right. So what did they solve? They they literally solved how to air condition themselves with a grid street pattern. But when we get into the density of downtown Phoenix, and I'm sorry, downtown Scottsdale, same there. Yeah. Do we have to be on a human scale? Of course we do. But let's get a bit more creative about it, and let's not get quite so attached to all of the past. Hmm. Interesting. So a solution, okay. you think, to some of the the um, residential heat issues, not heat issues, but residential experiencing that Phoenix lacks, which is, yeah, certainly Phoenix is not a walkable city, would be to increase population density, go taller, and then potentially more walkable with... with yeah, it doesn't need to be that yeah. tall, right? I mean, I think a lot of the problems that we talk, I mean, at Phoenix Community Alliance, when I was involved with it years ago, yeah. um, but it's still very much the conversation, is how do we center communities and what do people need? You've got to start at the human level, right? And, 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 and I'm sorry to say this, the human level isn't a car. It isn't. The no. human level is where can you walk? Why do people love coming to downtown Scottsdale? Because they can walk. We've got narrow yeah. streets, uh, you know, not, not particularly easy parking, but that's okay because it makes you go, well, how else can I get to Scottsdale? You know, there's always an Uber. There's always, unfortunately, there's not a light rail. Phoenix has the opposite problem. Phoenix grew up in the car era. So you've got a lot of wide streets. So how do you narrow them? What do you do to bring those streets into a more human place? Look at Oxford Street in London. What did they do? That was like one of the major streets in London. Well, they widened the pavements and they said, dear cars, sorry, you're not welcome here. Drive around it. We can walk down here or you can catch a bus or a taxi down here. What did that do? That brought people in. So you, you put these things together and you look at the Paseo that was put in in Phoenix that goes east to west and unfortunately it didn't quite pull off, but it's, it's there and it's getting there. All of a sudden people could relate to that and they developed around it. So you've got a narrower street with higher buildings. Welcome back to Malta in the, 19, in the 1550s. You started to create something where people want to be and that, you know, shops don't create, well, what's the point in a shop unless there's someone to actually shop there? Of course, and, yeah. And, and how do you get unique shops that create a neighborhood? And the answer is you need neighbors. Yeah. So, so make it friendly to people first. The rest comes second. And so being part of these experiments, um, you know, what was it? One Lexington. And then even you were part of Portland on the Park too, right? Um, yeah, very much so. Portland on the Park is kind of a, 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 a I, I have a total love affair with Portland on the Park. Uh, Portland on the Park grew out of Portland Place. I was lucky enough to be involved yeah. Um, at, at the later end of Portland on the place and, and selling that building out. And we were going to sell two more high rises next door to it. And uh, and then there was 2008. Yeah. Um, and the developer, lovely guy called Tim Sprague, held on to, and John Hill, um, Habitat Metro, they held on to the land very sensibly with the city. And the city have been amazing with that side of the game. They've, yeah. they've been great with developers. If you work with the city, they'll work with you. If you try and bludgeon them in some blunt force trauma they won't so so the people who've learned to work with them have, have, have done very well so managed to hold on to that land next to it and out of that we had the chance to all talk together 
uh, with you know my favorite architect. I mean, well, I've got several favorite architects, but Mike's been a very long-term friend. Mike Davis, who runs Davis Architecture, they've built about more than 30% of downtown Phoenix. Wow. They know what they're doing. Um, and we managed to shape Portland on the Park out of some very basic values. And again, I come back to David Allison, who's the marketing guy from Vancouver. Before we'd even built anything, before we'd even got anything finally designed, we were all working together and saying, what is this that we're doing? Who are mm -hmm. the people that are going to live here? What's the values of the people who are going to live here? Um, and by doing that and by having every question, be it architectural, be it marketing, be it sales, it doesn't matter. They all had to answer to this one thing. And because we knew the values, not the ages, doesn't matter. We knew the values of who was moving in. You go there now, it's incredible. It's the, just the most exciting community. The whole of the first floor of Portland on the park is an art gallery. Mm -hmm. It's literally an art gallery with pictures for sale that change on a, every few months because what's one of the core values? They all love art. That's right. one of the reasons they moved there. It's on Roosevelt Road. But they literally run their own art gallery. I mean, how crazy is that? That's an HOA doing something that's fun and community building and everything else. So, yeah, great fun to be involved in that. One Lexington, we were very fortunate that it didn't work in 2007 and 2006. But again, what's the common core between One Lexington? Beautiful 17-story building. Just, we broke, Dan Volrich is a complete genius and, and was a uh, new home salesperson from Sotheby's. Uh, in Canada, again, Vancouver, again, somewhere outside. Sure. And we sold the building together and, and just had huge fun. But we outsold everybody in the market, which was kind of nice. And yeah. it was an amazing <laughs> it location. Transport Hub, it's right there. I I personally love that area. We're, we're fortunate enough to use some office space down there. Um, and I look forward to going down there to work because it's first floor, glass windows, you can see the activity and energy um, and, you know, there's people exercising, walking dogs, reading, going to coffee shops. Um, it's really what I think um, Phoenix needs. And my next question to you would be, why isn't there more of it at this point? In well, but there is, right? Yeah. It's coming in. I mean, you look at it, just in that area, it's only a few years since Park Central actually reopened. I mean, Steve Betts did an True. incredible job with Park yeah. Central. Um, and so coming from this empty space, and it's been an empty space for years because it was very difficult to get it out of its previous ownership. And, you know, that's what we see happening in general around the valley, right? The, the reason there aren't more, isn't more, is just it takes some time to evolve. If you go to, I, I'm co-chair of the ULI's Urban Infill, um, an adaptive reuse uh, council and, and uh, product council, um, we were fortunate enough to go to uh, Glendale the other day and to be invited to walk around by, by some of the folks down there. And when you walk around historic Glendale, you see the same problems as Phoenix had. It's why it's taken this long for Phoenix to get together. You know, there's some big gaps where there's people that own land and for whatever reason just want to hang on to it. And until you get some central building, some central plan that you can hang off, developers just tend to stay shy because they it's just too much of a risk and that's really what's happening down there they're developing some really cool plans down there 
And I think it's going to be a really interesting place to watch. But that's the reason that it just takes time. You know, I'm an impatient person and oh, it's boring to take it that long. But that's what happened in Phoenix. You look at Midtown right now. Yeah. And it's just, again, look at Park Central. You know, Lexington, I think, was really useful because it is a really cool looking building. Oh yeah, and sure. and it's helped us get people in there. Willow and what happened there that helped get people in. I mean, Willow went from being the place you didn't want to be to this wonderfully gentrified area. Yeah, um, nice job. Which is okay, you know, it, it it helped it. And of course, what pulled all of that together is the light rail. Yeah. Again, it was something that you could develop around and it had a central idea to it. Well, they've done a good job, especially in Willow, protecting the the history on it too, allowing you to keep the face of it and then modify from the, towards the back or cautiously modify the back. Well, and um, go back to the start of the conversation. So, so we 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 go back to Malta and the 1550s. Well, 50, and yeah. What do you have? You have somewhere that's walkable, right? And what have they done? Most importantly, in the last few years, they've narrowed the streets. Yeah, they put permanent cycle lanes in going north and south. Who'd have thought? And guess what? More people can walk, more people can be in the community, more people can get to where they want. And 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 they love it. Yeah. Interesting. One thing I, I, I wrote another note down uh, when you were talking about the collaboration of the Portland and Park experience. And that to me was, um, it sounds like you were very, or you and your team was very focused in the creation and design of that. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of really great stuff happens when you're focused and have a clearly defined goal. Um, is that, is that appropriate for that? Is that an appropriate observation? Uh, 100%. It's, yeah. it's, it, and, and, and what's really good is it gives everybody something to relate to. Yeah. And, and so if you get, you know, we're a huge believer, Sean Zimmerman and myself who, who, you know, had a, a lot to do with that project and, and several others, have always said, square one, we get all the stakeholders together, all of them, the money folks, the, the architects, the salespeople, the, everybody, everybody that's going to touch this project at any point. Let's all sit down before we start. Let's sit down with somebody who can, uh, and again, David Allison, uh, and look, by the way, go to Infogra, uh, sorry, go, go to um, his it's website. Right. I'll oh. find it. Um, just a genius. We got him to be in front of all of us and to ask us some really dumb questions, um, which were frighteningly intelligent when you go into them. You know, what uh, if this development was was going to be a recording artist? Who would it be? And which <laughs> song would it be? If this development was going to be a car, which manufacturer would it be? And which car would it be? And, and if you look at the manufacturing industry, and you, so if you look at the car industry and you look at the music industry, they are two of the best industries when it comes to knowing how to promote people, knowing how to package and knowing how to promote. Sure. And the great thing is it takes you out of the development field. So you're no longer fighting about, well, it should have this many square feet, and it should have this many bedrooms. You're, you're getting into the real nuts and bolts of, of what this is. You're not allowed to say Audi because it's quite a boring car that everybody clings on to, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not a boring, it's beautifully built, it's beautifully designed, it's, it's, and it's high quality and everybody wants that. 
but come on give me a jaguar give me a ferrari give me me something that's interesting so so but the point is you you go through this conversation you find out what the values are and everything hands off that it even makes it better when you're going to the city council and trying to get the planning through because as soon as you've got the values of who's there you can speak to the city council on a level that isn't I know you all come from a stucco home and we want to build a glass high rise that's going to be incredibly exciting. Right. But let's talk about the people. Yeah. And what the councillors want to talk about, they want to talk about the people, they want to get wrapped up in the story. And it helps. It helps the whole process. So, yes, I think it's just the most sensible thing. Value graphics, uh, David Allison, look him up. Genius. Yeah, will do. Uh, I'm I'm a constant student of marketing, and so I, I like to from those resources but that that's really interesting um outside observation insight into kind of the design of a building you figure somebody just presents something yeah that looks cool let's do it but no there's a ton of thought behind it How, does it fit does it yeah. fit for that person you know who yeah. are these people what are they going to want and how do we solve that problem not what age are they it's yeah demographics don't work who are we going to sell it to yeah i mean there's you know, uh, things that have the the extent of planning that occurs um, in some businesses blows my mind. And to think that far in advance, like um, Howard Hughes has a uh, a residential development that they've been planned and built for the last fifty years or sixty years. They've been planning on one plot of land, and so they just went, "We're going to build here fifty years, and we're going to keep selling houses." They just did that on the west side of Phoenix. There's going to be something like that in the future. And I think exactly. it's something like, quote me, I may be wrong, but it might be T- Toyota has like a 50 year plan too. Um, and it's, I wouldn't it's like, be at all surprised. Look, how can you look that far into something? And, and it's for questions like that. It's pretty cool. Well, look at the amazing people who are right now today, uh, somewhere on a Scottish Island laying down whiskey that isn't going to be sold sure. until it's 30 years old. <laughs> you know i mean you've got to get involved with these people who have these big picture thoughts because gold lies there it really yeah. does it yeah. was fascinating to me and again you know when you wake up to okay we're going to build this so all right so we're going to build a tall building let's look at portland on the park we're going to build a 14-story building and it's going to be right next to the japanese friendship gardens mm-hmm. well the, the the natural planning stroke neighborhood answer to that would be but you're going to ruin the Japanese friendship gardens. This is terrible. This is awful. This is all these things. Um, and my daughter gave me hell for it because she <laughs> loves the moon and she was at a moon festival in the Japanese friendship gardens and she couldn't see the moon because it was behind Portland on the park. But when we were building it, we had this great event in the Japanese friendship gardens and the architect of the Japanese friendship gardens came. Now, he's a wizened old character from japan who is exactly what you would expect i mean if you were going to cast the architect an old japanese guy who's the architect of japanese friendship gardens this would be the person you cast and i met him with huge trepidation because i thought what's he going to think of this building and he was amazing he said this is the best thing that has ever happened to the japanese friendship gardens because everything we've planted here grows too quickly because it gets too much sun because it's in phoenix arizona so what you've done is you've just created this amazing shade structure that 
will help my garden be beautiful. Amazing. And it's just, it's another one of those lessons that you just learn. You kind of think, okay, <laughs> that would not have been what the planners would have said. Huh. But so they wanted the gardens. And it gardens. made the gardens cooler. Yeah, back to Malta. Yeah, made the gardens cooler because they were more shaded. So guess what? More people want to go out in the gardens, which look more beautiful. We, we mustn't be afraid of stepping out and doing very, very cool and interesting development and breaking out of the molds that we have. That's how we get exciting cities and that's how we get exciting people. Yeah, it's really, really good for the, uh, I don't it, the object would be, you know, good for the economy, but it's good for the community. It's good for- Both, um, both. You think of what uh, happens when a, when, a, when, a, when a Fortune 500 company wants to move to Phoenix, what are they looking for? How can I move the staff that work for me to sure, Phoenix? Yeah. What's exciting? Where are they coming from? They're generally coming from high density, uh, cities and and so they need some of that they need a transport system they need walkability they need a lot of the things that phoenix now has which is why we're seeing them there as soon as they come here what do we do we broaden the base of who's here back to the point you made earlier as soon as we broaden the base now we don't get back to 2008 because everybody that works here i know comes here because it's sunny and works in a big box department store and it's buys a house and that's the economy well Thank goodness it's not the economy not anymore. anymore. We have to yeah. thank light rail for that. We have to thank the developments we've had for that. Yeah. That's what's got us here. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the growth that's coming is is stunning. Um, it is. The, the Taiwan Semiconductor Plant is mind-blowing. And if you haven't been up there, or if somebody who's listening hasn't, hasn't been up there, you should just go drive by it. Um, oh, I couldn't agree so more. It's so big. It's incredible. The scale is amazing. But also look at what it's doing to the real estate industry around it as well. Sure. I mean, you, you, you get a, a job producer like that, and it changes the dynamics of the entire real estate market in the yeah. area. Well, Intel's doing the same thing. I mean, they're not, yep. it's not the same size, but it's, you know, a measly 15 or $20 billion or something like that. You know, yep. no big deal. Uh, and then exactly. your Googles and Amazons and the warehouse, the warehouse builds that are coming on 303 and Santan are like, again blowing your mind it's fascinating what's happening you know outside yeah. the central core of the valley as well where it's not people who are you know again there used to be this thing of you you know you live out in goodyear and you're expected to work in phoenix i mean how crazy is that you know you it's nice to, to see some of these cores happening outside so people could happily live and work outside but yeah. um, but we've got to make sure we develop properly so we just don't do more ugh, boring subdivisions you know we've got to <laughs> Which is going to be interesting. <laughs> it is. It is. It's. It's coming. I mean, you know, with to support that many people that are coming along with those jobs, you have to have low levels of housing and and extremely high levels of housing too. Um, and not every house, unfortunately, can be super. Exciting. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't yeah. agree more. But yeah. it doesn't stop you. You know, being a little bit outside the box. It doesn't stop sure. you moving the story on. You don't want to keep the story static. Sure. That, yeah. that doesn't help anywhere at all. And you want to celebrate what you've got that's really cool. You know, I mean, you look at historic districts. It's a great idea. I, I get it. Yeah. But let's keep the bits of the historic district that are really cool. Yeah. And just because it's old, it doesn't necessarily need to be kept. You know, let's yeah. if we celebrate the cool and we develop to the cool, then we're cool. Yeah. But if we think it's, well, just because it's old doesn't mean it should still be there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's certainly stuff to protect. You know, I think um, housing is about to make a big shift again, too. Um, 
I think it's Dr. Horton um, out in Houston again is building uh, a whole development. They've got approval to do uh, three-dimensional houses, um, and so it basically 3D uh, printing, 3D printing for houses. They it's can have a so house exciting, isn't it? up in like two days, um, and then somebody comes in, roughs in electrical and plumbing, and and behind that, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, it's incredibly exciting and and you can have so much fun with it because you're you're coming into whole new structural norms yeah. you know which is or, or out of structural norms as well that way around and the other great thing of course is you're reducing the number of pickup truck journeys you're reducing and guess trash. what you're reducing reducing traffic yeah. <laughs> yeah um and it's efficient and it's it's really interesting to see that evolve yeah yeah that'll be um I think it'll be a big shift for, you know, common housing, things you can't do with sticks that you could do with a computer. Um, and then absolutely agree. Just come out. And um, it's going to be fun to inspect, isn't it? And where's that? That's going to take us down a whole different avenue. Yeah. Well, that's got to be exciting for your industry, right? To have new it, things. Yeah. I mean, it's um, a lot of what our industry is, is not necessarily no, having to know everything that's new, but being able to identify, you know, remember um, PBS, where they would do the four screens and it was one of these things doesn't belong here. Um, right. That's a lot of what a home inspection is. Like you don't have to know every little detail, but you have to know the effect of what's causing the issue in yeah. there. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, a lot of the defects that we have, sure. It's, it's not that they were created by the creator. It's that they were created by the inhabitor of it, you know, as the, They've done the handyman fix or the duct tape fix or the super glue fix or something to that extent. So that, that felt good at the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it worked. But, that, but that's mean, what fascinates me with you. I mean, I know you're interviewing me, but, you know, I, no, I, I was going to say the, 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 the one thing that really stands out to me about you and your service is is experience and the way that even when you have new people coming on, you you hold a hand for a long time so they get to share that experience they get to be well mentored so that they are as you said looking at all four of those pictures yeah as opposed to just looking at an appraiser's code not an appraiser a home inspector's right. kind of code book yeah <laughs> you know what's the difference between a house that was built in 1920 and a house that was built in 2020 a stunning uh, amount yeah quite a lot. Yeah. yeah but it's got to be in context um and and your experience provides that context and the way you talk to clients provides that context so they can have a better understanding of what they're buying and, and i from a real estate perspective i can't tell you how much that's appreciated it's huge well thank you yeah i mean that's 100 percent true like the state the state requires 30 parallel inspections and the intent of the 30 parallel inspections is is truly to learn how to write a report that's their that's their idea and design um, and then all you have to do is take a state test, actually you take a national test. So in some of that national test, we learn about broilers, broilers, boilers. Right. See, I don't even know how to say it. It's not an oven. Both, it's probably. a boiler, uh, <laughs> that we don't, uh, you know, like, uh, oil boy, oil burning boilers. Holy cow. That's hard to say. Um, which is stuff that we don't even see in Phoenix. So we have right. applications of the exam that we'll never use again. We just have to mem memorize for a moment. Um, and yeah, when you get out into the field, you see stuff from maybe 1890, not that old in, in the pretense of where you're from, um, to 2022. And so a lot has changed and you have to see that practicality. So, yeah. you know, it takes no less than 100 inspections to even have an idea of what you're doing. Um, yeah. So thank you for noticing that. I appreciate that. No, um, it, it comes off all the time. 
from a real estate perspective, you have um, some certainly interesting niches and in business that you've created um, throughout the years and, and a couple different facets of it too. You know, what is uh, your co-founder of Launch? Um, you, you were with your, did you say father-in-law at a small brokerage and now you've shifted yes. into, um, you know, certainly one of the uh, co-founder of one of the more premier uh, real estate brokerages, certainly in the city, if not arguably in the country too. It's been a it's been a fun journey. Um, I have certainly John Batista to thank for a lot of this. He's yeah. just a, when John gets going behind something, boy, does he get going. You got, you got to stand in that wake and, uh, and and use and abuse it as much as you can. Not too much abuse, but a lot of use. <laughs> uh, 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 and and yeah, I, I was very lucky to actually. It's funny that was my film career crossing with my real estate career when I first came here. Um, and I still do the odd bit just because it's wrong not to. Um, but but somebody somebody wanted a reel put together for the start of a new luxury real estate company to promote okay. it. And they'd suggested me. Uh, and I was just getting my real estate feet wet at that point, but I'm always up to do some filming. And so I put together a reel to introduce uh, Equitable Real Estate Company, which was John's baby. And we did it before the company started. And so that's how I got to know John. And I was interviewing all these high-end realtors um, who were in the top of the luxury market and whatever else back in 2004. And, you know, little did they know that, that I had just got my real estate license and it's what I wanted to do. So it was incredibly useful. I was getting free advice by interviewing <laughs> people. It was fantastic. Um, and, and that's how I got involved with John. And, you know, we went and met down at the waterfront. And again, the waterfront just been developed at that time, right? It was sure. exciting. There was a bit of math there. There was a bit of density there. And that really got my juices going, as, as did his ambition, which, you know, good grief. It's always incredible to watch. And um, so that got me into Equitable. Then we got Sotheby's on board. Then we became Russline Sotheby's. And during all of that time, you know, I was increasing my development jobs as far as high-rise condos. That's really where I've done most of my work. Um, and, and obviously that helped introduce me more into the luxury end of the market as well. Um, and then we, we all, the recession hit and varying other things hit and, and we just felt that as much as we hugely respect Sotheby's as a brand and Rilogy as their owners, uh, gosh, I mean, John wouldn't have brought them into town if they weren't worth having and they are, they're an amazing brand. Right. We wanted to be more agile. And we kind of missed the agility that we had as equitable. We were very lucky as equitable in that we had you know, well, I guess you make your own luck to an extent, but, you know, we really had the best brokers in North Scottsdale and in, in Paradise Valley and, and uh, Arcadia, and we were agile. And when we went through the whole recession and everything, we were onto the Sotheby's side of the game. It's this big corporation, and corporations are like an oil tanker. They don't move quickly. And at a time when we needed to move quickly, we couldn't. And so we all went off and sulked in our own ways and got our own brokerages or joined whoever we wanted to. And then John sure. came back into town and said, let's start something new. And the new was old. The new was basically equitable. But the brightest idea on the whole thing was let's have a coffee shop that happens to be a brokerage because you spend, you know, here we are in real estate and you spend a lot of money on real estate offices for a posh real estate brokerage, mm -hmm. huge amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And no one's ever in it. Nobody wants to go to it. Customers don't want to come into a real estate shop. 
and agents, because the customers aren't there, aren't there either. So what's the point? So, so this idea of let's change the model of a brokerage and have somewhere where our customers, our clients are really, really welcome and feel at home is the level that as a luxury buyer or seller, or indeed any buyer or seller, because let's not get too caught up with luxury. If they're happy being there, well, then our agents are happy being there as well. Right. If, yeah. if, if our agents are known as part, what's better than going into a restaurant, being greeted by the owner of the restaurant who knows your agent, who's telling them great things and wonderful stories, and all of a sudden you're calm, you're at home, you're in a great place. And so that was the real breakthrough was how do we change it? How do we have a different work ethic? And the other really important bit of that, and, and I just want to say on camera, if you don't have to beep it out, we were there before another company that I won't name, but our number one rule from square one has been no assholes. Yeah. It hasn't been everybody's number one rule. Yeah. And I'm very <laughs> glad, right? Imitation is, uh, as I was saying with the, sure. with the film industry, imitation is okay one. sometimes. That's okay. But just let's understand that we're imitating. So, so any case, the, 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 the bottom <laughs> line is that the other incredibly important part about this brokerage is no assholes. So what have we got? We've got this friendly family atmosphere. Our uh -huh. AI is agent intelligence as opposed to, are we techie? Yeah, of course we are. But it's agent intelligence. It's about agents working as a huge team and sharing this intelligence between people. That served us so well in the last few years as well when there was nothing on the market. We had huge sales figures. I don't, you know, at that time, 230, 240 agents being number two in the state by dollar volume, you know, number one's over 4,000. That says wow. how well the agents are talking to each other, how well they're using their networks and how well they're using the launch family. So that and the fact that we always invite our agents, right? We don't, we only have a very, very small number of new agents who only come on if they are invited in and have a proper mentor. And the rest of our gang are proper, experienced professionals. It's what we do. We don't do anything else. Right. Agents. And, you know, you glue all that together with, you know, I'm very proud. My business partner, Sean, is also the president of the company. And he does sure. an amazing leadership job in, in, in keeping going what John started and taking it from strength to strength. So it's been a real fun journey. We've got a successful brokerage. We're very excited about opening up in North Scottsdale in the next few weeks. Got a fantastic location up there, which, you know, is, is kind of a schmooze light. Um, yeah. But but again, hands on to a lot of the traditions that we have down here. You know, we've got to build that culture there. Um, but that's going to be the exciting next step. So it's been a journey. It's been a fun one. But yeah, a coffee shop that happens to be a brokerage with I don't know, 14 or 15 offices that aren't even proper offices. I mean, you know, it, it works. It's fun to watch. Um, it's fun. It's fun to watch the development and the exciting. I think it's innovative, uh, a merging of two worlds, but you hit the nail on the head. Like um, there are some traditional agency, agencies that I've gone into, giant office, nobody's in it. All the lights are off. Um, in this case, you have hustle and bustle, you have excitement, you have energy, um, and you have agents in there. And, and from what I've always found is that the agents that a lot of the agents that tend to be successful, um, have the structure to go into the office. And once they're in the office and they're able to get the work done and create it, they shouldn't always be in the office. You should be showing houses and having deals and meetings, but you need that structure of work to get the work done. 
Well, and if your office just you know happens to be a place that sells good coffee, good food, and dare I say, good alcohol, then it, yeah, hurt. it makes it easier <laughs> to go in the office. <laughs> so that's one aspect of your business. Then you have a, a partnership or a team, and then you also have uh, you know a focus of your own residential real estate. Uh, sure. So, so, so you know, yeah. team wise, uh, Sean and myself on a very small real estate team. Yeah. Uh, we both love to give back. Um, we both just love to bring on, you know, we're some of the few people that like to mentor and bring on new people. And, you know, Sean mentors an entire company, of course, but 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 we both mentor our team. Um, we've got two brilliant team members, Emily and Breer, at the moment. Uh, I'm sure Emily is going to go on to uh, basically dominate the entire Northwest Valley. She's just a force of nature. There's no other way of describing her. Um, and she's doing amazing strides in video marketing up there and, and really getting her act together up there. Um, and Bria, good grief, Bria's a gold medalist athlete. You know, I mean, how many people are lucky enough to say, hey, meet my team member. She's a gold medalist. <laughs> Not a lot. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, and she's the nicest person in the world. She makes up about five of the nicest people that I know in the world probably still can't meet when they come together, still aren't quite where Bria is. You know, yeah. so so uh, she's a total sweetheart. She's really getting it together in the Biltmore area. Um, it's where she lives, um, and it's what she loves. And we've got to sell with passion. You know, if you if you have a passion behind you, and if you if you just have that drive and that love of where you live, it makes it easier to sell where you live um, because people respond to that. And so we're really excited about those two guys, Sean and myself, to a mixture of commercial and residential uh, and development because it's always fun having different things on your plate. Yeah. And it just keeps you awake. Um, and residentially, I mean, obviously, I've sold, I think I've probably sold as many, if not more, as anybody else in this valley when it comes to class A condominiums. Yeah. Uh, I'm certainly wow. number one or number two. I'm, I'm up there somewhere. So I know a lot of the stuff that people don't know in condos um which really helps when it comes to both the listings you know and buyers uh, i i can i can go deeper uh, uh, and rather like you i, I always kind of look back here when i'm selling a condo you know you inspect the home and you see all the nasty stuff but because you know it yeah. you're able to balance out how you're talking about it mm -hmm. and 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 condos are you know big complex buildings uh, because of some of the crazy lawsuits we have in arizona and, and don't even get me started on that um you know <laughs> they've often got some bad legal history behind them and and you need to be able to tell the story and explain it um and and so that's really useful when it comes to condos i know you know most of the stuff that's gone on i i i, I know most of the CCNRs, most of the things you can and can't do and, and some of the vagaries. And that any good realtor, in my view, has to understand every inch of their market, just like you do with a home inspection. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's why I love staying in that place. I know, but I've also got a history and a career which is based on taking opportunity and which is based on what's the change and what's different. And I live in one of the most beautiful places in the state. I mean, how lucky am I? I live on a mountain in Scottsdale. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and McDowell Mountain Ranch, where I cycle from, where I fly over, you know, which connects the rest of my world, <laughs> or at least take off over out of Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah. But, but it is, it's stunning. It's, it's, it's the opposite to being in the core. And, and, it's, and you can breathe. And so 
the real estate there is in this amazing topography. You know, I wake up to Camelback Mountain in the morning. I go to, you know, I come home to, you know, a, a great gate guard. I mean, what a fantastic first world problem to go. Well, maybe didn't wait tonight. <laughs> you know? uh, um, but so I get welcomed home every day and I watch this incredible sunset that's actually coming from the West, but which is bouncing off the mountains and giving them this beautiful mauve color. It's It's just stunning and and you know we have coyotes and deer and bobcats and you know, snakes and other stuff you know all sorts of fun uh, stuff. Uh, well <laughs> i had this really cool scorpion that wandered up to my front door the other day it was huge and it was just it was just this fascinating creature so 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 you know not that i'm advising people to live with scorpions there's a downside sure, yeah. to that understood but yeah. but it's the desert you know and and as long as we celebrate the fact that those wonderful creatures are there we had a tarantula walk down the path the other day uh, and they're amazing so okay. so it's an incredible part of the world to live and so i love selling up at madame mountain ranch i love selling up towards dc ranch and that kind of end of the game i don't understand golf it's apparently a game with a stick and a ball that i just don't get the hang of so so i don't go into true i've got lots of good friends that 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 do uh but so i i tend to navigate a little bit further south than that but again it's a mixed community so we're not just stuck in very rich people or very not so rich people so you get this community you know that's what communities come from is this mix of people and i love bathing in that and i i just love selling there it's fantastic and so that's my that's my kind of hobby and and it's brilliant it's good i mean it it your passion is infectious for sure um and i appreciate that I, that's the other note that i just wrote down is selling with passion um because i think it ties back to um, the focus that you've displayed um, when you're passionate, it's easy to be focused. And so when you just kind of get it exactly. and see that outside perspective, but then throw in the, what I said earlier, the, the um, saying yes to opportunity um, and all that's kind of mixing together to a wonderful real estate career, a wonderful, sounds like wonderful life. Um, it's, you know, I'm very lucky. Brilliant. Very, very yeah. lucky. I am. Uh, I'm lucky to get to talk to you today. Um, and, and <laughs> I appreciate it. up with me. <laughs> I appreciate the story that you've shared. This is this has been a lot of fun. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, and and maybe we'll have to set up an episode too because I think we're just getting started. But uh, <laughs> well, Sean, um, thank you so so much, and and thank you so much for asking me to come and chat. It's, it's a real you. privilege, yeah. and I really appreciate it. Thank, um, you. thank you, I appreciate it. Where can somebody find you? Um, uh, easy, David at phx.co. There it is. Uh, don't do the comp, do the CO. So David at phx.co and my phone number is 602-510-0111. Or and, uh, Schmooze Coffee That's bar. where you can find me. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Thank you for listening to Just Another Real Estate Podcast. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and be sure to follow Dwell Inspect Arizona on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. To contact Dwell Inspect Arizona, call us at 480-867-4599. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, email our team at office at dwellinspectaz.com.